tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, Episode 54. Have you ever wondered if God could use your story? If there was a way that He could make something beautiful out of the broken pieces of your life? Well, in today's episode, author and speaker Sharon Janes talks about the power of God and how He wants to use your story for His glory. And I'm telling you guys, there is so much hope and there is so much help in this episode. I can't wait to begin. Well, hello there, Sharon Janes. It's been a long time since I last talked to you. It has been. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Oh, it's an honor. You and I were part of Holly Gerst's prayer group many, many years ago, but I'm just excited to talk to you about your new book, When You Don't Like Your Story, What If Your Worst Chapters Could Become Your Greatest Victories, and it is your 25th book that you have written. That is incredible, my friend. Oh, thank you. It's pretty exciting down down this way. (laughs) In our home, anyway. (laughs) I bet. And why this book? And why now? Well, you know, it's interesting, Joanna, that I, I wrote the book actually um, mostly before COVID hit. And I think God knew before that this was going to happen. And what a perfect time for us to stop and really evaluate our stories. Because I think most people during COVID are thinking, I do not like this story. (laughs) But being in ministry with women for 30 years or so, and just like you probably have experienced this too, there's so many people that don't like their stories. And unfortunately, a lot of people get stuck in the part of their stories that they don't like. Mm-hmm. So my hope is to, you know what, let's look at these stories. Let's look at them from a different perspective. Let's look at these wounds that we have and be healed from these wounds and have a different ending to the parts of our stories that we don't like. So, you know, that the hope, Joanna, is just, you know, what if, I want us to all think about as we're spending this time together in conversation, What if those worst chapters could become your greatest victories? Mm. Would you want to move on? Would you want to have a different ending? And I hope the answer is yes. Mm. That is so beautiful. That is so beautiful because we get stuck. We get stuck and we think, well, God couldn't ever use this. And yet we have the Bible, which is filled with stories that are not so tidy nor so beautiful. And God uses them. How can we get a new perspective on our stories? Well, here's some things we need to remember that those parts of our stories that we wish God had edited out, those can become the ones that God highlights the most as his amazing work in our lives. So that's a different perspective to think from worst to best. Um, and, and we can't delete them, can we, Joanna? I mean, we can't delete those stories. We can't discard them. We can't change the past, but we can repurpose them, repurpose the stories. And we talk about redemption a lot in the Christian realm. But you know what? Redemption is trading in one thing for another. And we can trade in the worst parts of our stories for the best part of what of God's stories, really, because we're able to to be able to tell other people how God has worked in our lives. But I think one of the problems is that 
even if we have moved, moved from being wounded to having a beautiful scar that then God can use, sometimes we don't want to tell tell those stories because we're embarrassed or yeah. we feel like people will think badly of us. And you know what? There's some parts of my story when, when God first started calling me to writing and speaking and, and doing ministry with women, there's some parts that I didn't want to tell. And I remember the feeling, I know God, God spoke to me this and I I don't want to, God didn't speak audibly to me, but it was a, it was a thought that I had that I knew did not come from my mind. And God spoke to me and said, would you rather people think well of you or think well of me? And that was key in the very beginning. And it was like, Lord, I want people to think well of you. And then I began to tell these parts of my story that I've been so ashamed of. But God had brought me through through those parts. It was on the other side, but still I didn't want people to know. And once I got over that, Joanna, and I started sharing what God had done in my life and how it brought me through and brought me over and lifted me up, um, people that's when that's when people really started being ministered by anything that I had to say. Because I became believable and Jesus became very visible. Mm, I love that so much. And your book is so beautiful because you are very honest and you tell us your story, even back some of your earliest memories as a little girl and and how some of that early stuff really kind of shaped you. Why do you think we think our story disqualifies us? I think that one reason people think their story disqualifies them, you know, we've got, there's two ways to get a bad story, something that has been done to you by someone else, or something that has been done through you by Mm. your own decisions. And we can feel disqualified because of either one of those. Uh, For example, if we have made some really bad decisions in our lives, Let's say that someone has had an affair. Maybe they've had an abortion in their past or, you know, I could go down a long list of really poor decisions that, that people make and maybe God, they've experienced their, the forgiveness of God, the redemption in that story, but they feel like that they have been disqualified because of the mistakes of their past. And as you just mentioned, we only have to look through the pages of the Bible to see that that men and women's mistakes do not disqualify them from being used by God. I mean, look at the very beginning of the New Testament when we when we look at the lineage of Jesus and there are there's five women, four besides the mother his mother, Mary, but four women that are listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And every single one of those had very difficult past. They had sordid past. And yet God used each one of those women in very specific ways as part of his grand story. And he is using us in very specific ways in his grand story. I mean, look at Rahab. I mean, she's one of the four women that are listed. I mean, she was a prostitute, yet God saved her, redeemed her story, and she's part, a very big part, of being the lineage in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And that's what he wants to do with our stories, to turn them around and then use them for good. You know, we we often in the Christian world quote Romans 8, 28, that God uses all things for the good to those who love God and are caught according to his purpose. And, and we know that, we believe it, but can God use our difficult stories for good? Absolutely. I think that's one thing that he uses the most is our difficult stories. Now, there's another verse that I love. It's in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4. It says, God comforts us in all of our, our troubles so that, oh, 
I love those two words, so that. So Mm -hmm. that we can comfort those in any affliction that the comfort we have been comforted by God. Now that's kind of that verse kind of goes forward and backward and forward and backward. But basically what it's saying is that little so that in there, God doesn't comfort us to make us just to make us comfortable. God comforts us so that we can then use what we've gone through to help somebody else who's going through a very similar struggle. And I know, and you know it too, Joanna, that people, God brings people across our paths that need to know the exact story that we have to tell. Exactly. Well, and it's so funny because we we are offering people the good news that Jesus is our Savior, that He is able to redeem the very worst and turn it into our good. And yet, and yet, for some reason, we think that if we have a messy story, that we're not we're not able to share ours. But you know, I'm thinking of that girl who's listening and saying, "But I I don't really have a dark story, and I feel disqualified. I don't feel like I have anything to share." What would you say to them? Oh my goodness! You know what? The devil's going to use both sides, won't he? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the person who doesn't have, listen, you don't have to have had a meth lab in your basement or walk the streets <laughs> as a prostitute to have a good story. Because coming to Christ, you were dead and now you are alive. And I don't know of any story that beats that. Yeah. So there's, there's always something. And you know what? The devil's going to tell you your story's too bad or your story's too clean and want minister to anybody because he doesn't want you telling it. And Revelation says that they overcame him, talking about the devil, talking about Satan. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So think about it, Joanna, that our story has so much power that is in the same verse as the blood of the lamb. No wonder he wants us to be ashamed. No wonder he wants to think that our stories are, are too clean to be doing anyone any good because he doesn't want us telling it. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think there's some that are like, yeah, but my story is just too boring. But you know, I found that every time I let God get his hands on me, I get a new testimony. You know, I I have something new to share. And so it's being willing to, I think, invite God into our lives right here, even in the ordinariness, even in the messiness that he wants to meet us there. One of the things that I've discovered in my life, that it's in those hard places of my story that God meets me most. How has that been true in your life? Well, do we have a couple days to talk about this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, there's so many. I, I, let me just pick one. Um, my husband and I, we... Um, after we got married, we got married when we were in college and uh, Three years, three and a half years later, we had our first child, and about nine months later, we decided we were going to have baby number two. Did you get that? We decided we <laughs> were going to have, and um, you know what? It didn't. It didn't turn out that way. We uh, went through years of infertility treatment. Um, we we struggled in that area, and and I remember my little boy when um, we would say our prayers at night. We told him that God was going to give us another Jane's baby, a little brother or sister for him, and we thought it would just happen just like it did the first time. And he prayed that as a little boy and God, please give mommy and daddy another Jane's baby that being her last name. And after several years, you know, I I said, God, you know, it looks like this isn't going to happen. How are we going to tell this little boy to stop praying a prayer? And um, one day, Stephen, he was about five and he said, mommy, have you ever thought maybe God only wants you to have one Jane's baby? 
Hmm. And I said, well, yes, I have thought about that. He said, well, what I think we ought to do is to, to pray until you're too old to have one. <laughs> now, listen, he said, then we'll know that was God's answer. He had no idea how old too old was. He'd studied wow. Sarah in Sunday school when she was 90, right? So, but, but what God was teaching me at that time was that I told Stephen no many times. And no didn't mean no because I didn't love him. No right. meant no because I was par- his parent and I knew what was best for him. So if God said no to me as my heavenly father, it wasn't because he didn't love me, but because he was my father and knew what was best for me. Now, that was a hard lesson. But then it got a little bit harder. Because a few years later, we did get pregnant, and we were so excited, started planting that nursery in my mind. The baby was healthy, but then she died before she was born. Mm-hmm. And Joanna, that was a whole nother level. And I went to bed, I pulled the covers up over my head, and I said, God, if this is how you're going to treat me, then just forget it. And I'm just being honest with you. I did not leave the doctor's office quoting Romans eight twenty eight. I was mad at God. And what did he do with my anger? He sat right there by me, loving me, waiting for me, caring for me. About three months later, I was um, I gave God the silent treatment for a while, like I was going to hurt his feelings or something. <laughs> but, um, but then, you know, I started talking to him again. I said, Lord, I wish I could just see what she was doing now. And I, and I had a picture, Joanna, of, of this little girl in heaven sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she wasn't sad at all. And God began to say to me, you need to stop saying, why me? And start saying, what now? And so there were so many lessons that I learned. But you just mentioned something a few minutes ago. It was so profound. I don't even know if you you know how profound it was. But you said there's so much going on in the ordinary, in our ordinary lives, where God is, is speaking to us and showing us things about our story. But Joanna, in order to recognize that, we have to be looking. In the ordinary, in the ordinary days, we have to be looking for God's God's hand and God's fingerprint. And sometimes when we go through difficult stories like the loss of a child, it is like the rent canvas, like we're looking through the canvas that that is separating the visible from the invisible. And and I started to see God in so many different ways. It didn't all come at once. It was uh, through the years. I would say lesson after lesson. But one of those lessons from when I stopped saying why me and started saying what now and started moving forward is now I had the ability to speak to women about hurt and loss. You know, I could have done that before. I could have shared some Bible studies and maybe had some little verses written on a card. But now when I talk to women about getting through the pain of loss, I knew what I was talking about and they believed me. And before that, I wasn't very believable. Now, that doesn't mean that we all have to go through horrible things in our lives to become believable, but I do believe that people, God will send certain people in our lives that need to hear our particular story. You know, when I lost that child, I didn't want to see a lot of my friends who had a pastel of children. I wanted to talk to someone who had experienced the same kind of loss that I had because I needed that kind of help. How did you get through this? How did you get through losing a child? And that is part of the, um, I call it digging for gold. I mean, God gave me the pickaxe and I just went at it um, looking for those veins of gold. Now, let me tell you one incredible vein of gold that God showed me. And it was several years later. Um, I was studying uh, the Song of Solomon, actually, and I was reading it. uh, I, I believe that 
the Song of Solomon to me is a literal book between a um, a real man and a real woman. But I was reading it on this particular day as if I was the bride and Jesus were the bride was the bridegroom. And in chapter two, verse one, the bride says, "I am the rose of Sharon." Mm. And, and that just kind of got my attention because, of course, my name is Sharon. So I stopped and looked up Sharon in my little Bible dictionary. And it said that Sharon was a fertile valley in mm. the Holy Land. And you know what I began to see is that even though my medical chart said infertile, God showed wow. me that day that my name at Fertile Valley. And wow. no, my life had not, my story had not turned out the way that I thought it would. Oh, but Joanna, it's a good story. It's such yeah. a good story because he's made me fertile in other ways. So sometimes we need to just let go of those broken pieces that we cling to. I mean, they're, they're cutting. I can just have this picture of women clinging to these broken mm-hmm. pieces of their stories when God wants them to let go of them, give them to him, and he's going to make something beautiful out of it. So, you know, that's just one of the many examples of how God took, a to me, what to me was a very bad story. And am I saying that God did that so I could learn these stories? Absolutely not. I mean, we live in a fallen world where bad things happen. And there is disease, there is destruction, there is evil. But God can even take that and use it for something good so that we can comfort other people with the comfort that we have received from God. Oh, amen. Amen. And I love how you put that. You know, we do have to let go of the broken pieces. And and I think I just think of that woman out there that is, you know, almost like her hands are bleeding and she says, I I don't know how. I've been holding on to this shattered dream for so long. How do I let go? How do I dream or even begin to believe that God has anything else for me when I I've had everything that I longed for shattered. What would you say to her? There is a story about Jesus going to the pool of Bethesda. And there were lame, crippled, all kinds of sick people around this pool. And they believed that an angel would come and stir the waters and the first one in would be healed. And I've been to that pool, that area. I've seen where that was. And Jesus walked up to one man who had been lame for 38 years, and he asked the strangest question. (laughs) He said to him, do you want to get well? You know, when we read that and we think, that is such a silly question, but is it? Hmm. And I have to ask myself that when I've had something terrible happen to me, and I'm clinging to those broken pieces, I've got that anger and that bitterness because of what has been done to me by someone else. And I've got that shame that I'm clinging to, even though I've asked God to forgive me. I know that he has, but it's me that's clinging to the shame. And I'm not walking out from under that cloud that's holding me back. And I see Jesus coming to me and saying, just like he did to that lame man, do you want to get well? Do you want to get better? Do you want to get unstuck from this certain chapter, this certain page in your story? And we have to answer that question. I think all emotional and spiritual healing begins with a decision. And then we move on to forgiving those people who've hurt us or stepping out of that un- from out from under that cloud of shame. But it begins with the decision. Yeah. And if we've been hurt terribly, 
if you're listening and you've been hurt terribly and you just say, I just can't let go of it. You know what? I have been there. I have been there from being raised in a home with an alcoholic father who beat my mom and my angry, bitter mom who would fight back. And um, I've been in that home where I was told constantly that I was not enough and I would never be enough. But I had to come to a place. I had to make a decision. Can I let go of this? Can I live free of this? Can I decide that I am no longer going to live bitter? I'm no longer going to live angry. I am going to be free. I don't know how exactly it's going to happen, but I'm making a decision right now that I am not going to carry these chains around with me any longer. So, Joanna, it starts with the decision that I want to get well. I want to be free. Amen. Amen. I I think of that woman with an issue of blood who who had tried everything but the, a gift of faith rose up in her. And I just sense, I really do sense that there's some women out there listening, that there's a, a gift of faith stirring up. And I just feel like the Lord just wants to encourage you to reach out and touch Him today, even right here, right now. I believe that that issue that has bound you and held you far too long is going to be broken in the name of Jesus. I just felt such an anointing over your word, Sharon. We've got to be willing to let go. And we've got to be willing to receive the healing that God has. But it's hard when it's almost become our identity. Do you find that? I, I, I find sometimes that I believed something for so long, I can't imagine living any differently. My story, I have totally let it mean a lie. I've let my story mean that, well, I'm just not good enough. I've, I've let my story mean, well, well, God prefers other people above me. I don't know what, what someone out there, I just feel that's just the Lord saying, there's a lie that you have believed as truth that he wants to set us free from as well. What would you say to that woman? A lot that you called it a lie. And I feel like in my own life, I believed the lies for so long. And you know what? It was almost, I'd say I had been lame, spiritually lame for, for 38 years. And Joanna, I was by that time, I'd been a Christian. I was teaching Bible studies. I went to Bible studies, wore the big smile on my face. Um, but I did believe this lie that that I still wasn't good enough. And I walked around with this feeling that one day I was going to be found out. Mm. that people would find out what I was really like on the inside. Mm. And then this woman, this older woman in my church, and it makes me cringe a little bit to say that because I think I'm the age she she is now, but <laughs> yes, back in the day. And um, and she she saw this. I mean, I looked like I had it all together on the outside, but I was crying on the inside. And she began to teach me about who I really was in Christ about that I was a, that I was a child of God that I was the light of the world the salt of the earth that was delivered from the domain of darkness transferred to the kingdom of Christ all of those verses um, which actually are listed in the back of the book um, about who I really was in Christ and you know what I'd read the verses I'd memorized a few of them but I didn't believe they were they were true mm-hmm. for me and then I began to learn the truth about who I was what I had and where I was that I was in Christ and once I began to start believe, really believing they were true for me, 
then God began to change me. And it tells us in scripture that says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern in this world, but be transformed, not by the way we act, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. And when we start renewing our minds with the truth, then our behavior and our emotions um, will follow. Amen. Amen. But Joanna, you mentioned something about what if we thought this certain way about ourselves for so long? You know, it is so much easier and more comfortable to stay in dysfunction than to be healed and move into the unknown. And that's why we've, we've heard the statistics for years that women who have been abused before they got married tend to marry someone um, who is very similar because they know what to expect. Um, now, for me, being in an abusive home, I made a decision. I am not going to have a home like I had before. And I went in the opposite direction. So usually there's one or two patterns. They do the same or they do the opposite. I chose to to do the very opposite. But sometimes we can we can have this pain in our lives. And we almost, Joanna, it's like it an, becomes an idol, that we put it up on the shelf and we, we dust it off every now and then. And we think, this is me. This is what I've been through. And I can't change the way I am because this is what happened to me. And I have family members stuck in that situation. Um, and I've seen in my own family where some have decided this is what was, but this is not what is now. And this is not going to be in my future. I have other mm-hmm. family members who were in the same situation who have repeated because they've repeated the situations that we grew up with as children because they, and they say, it's like an idol. I'm like this because of what happened to me. And you can get so stuck there, but it is a choice to be stuck there. And I don't mean to sound harsh. I don't mean to sound harsh, but I so want people to be free. Um, let me put a little, this is a, a difficult subject. So let me let me make it a little bit lighter, okay? You know, I live in North Carolina, the home of Andy Griffith. Now, I want to say that we in North Carolina are not like the black and white Andy Griffith shows. So don't think that. <laughs> but there is a, there's a town drunk there in the Andy Griffith shows named Otis. And Otis, when he would get... When he would have too much to drink, he would stumble in the jailhouse. He would take a key off the wall and lock himself up. Now, everybody laughs at that. I would laugh at that until one day God just really impressed on me that I do that. Not that I get Mm. drunk, but that I lock myself up in a jail cell. I take the nail off. I take the keys off that nail on the wall and I lock myself up. And Jesus is standing there going, what in the world are you doing? I have set you free from this. And we have to choose not to lock ourselves up in those jail cells of bitterness and shame. Wow. 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 That is so powerful. And, you know, the Lord's kind of showing me a couple of areas that I've done that to myself. You know, you, and it's so crazy because, like, who would want, to lock themselves away, you know? And yet when we refuse to believe what God says above what we believe about ourselves, I think we end up in jail cells. We do. And we say, yeah, I know you love me, but I don't believe you can change me. I know you love me, but I don't believe you can make anything beautiful with the mess that is my life. And in doing it, 
we miss out on the beauty that God wants to work in the middle of our story, using the very junk of our story, rather than us getting it all together and having somehow, I think in some ways, I think we think we're going, we're the ones that have to create the happy ending when it's really happy endings are only in the Lord's hands, whether we come from a past of abuse and trauma, or we have a Andy Griffith life like I did. (laughs) We all need God to be the author of our story, not ourselves. Absolutely. And you mentioned something uh, when we were talking before uh, we started recording about the lens, the lens that we look through. And um, Joanna, have you ever had your eyes examined? Yes. I I, I think (laughs) most of us probably have at some point. But you know, you're sitting in that dark room and there's a, a chart on the wall and the assistant or the doctor will put down a lens and say, which one is better, lens one or lens two? And you tell them, and then they'll say again, which is better, lens three or lens four. And you you realize that changing the lens helps you see more clearly. And if you need glasses, you get glasses and you see more clearly or contacts. Well, you know what? Our, Our lives are like that too. But we have a choice which lens we are going to look through. Which one are we seeing more clearly out of? And I have this one amazing friend. Her name is Patricia. And um, she married a fellow long time ago, and um, I, I I begged her not to marry him. I said, "Listen, he he's not he's not a believer. You're not on the same page." And you know, she was uh, 20, I think, at the time. Oh, I love him. God, I know God can change him. And you know, I just said, "Don't do it. Don't do it." Well, she ended up marrying him, and it was horrible. Uh, within three months, he was talking about, I've made a mistake. And within three months, he was already starting to go back to old fraternity parties from his, his college. And But then he'd come home and she'd take him back. And it was this back and forth and back and forth. And then at one point, they ended up having three children. Patricia decided that she was going to look at this through a different lens. And she began to look at her life through the lens of, of God's sovereignty in her life and what God can do in, she started looking at the positive things. She started looking at the, the beauty, the beautiful parts of her life. Instead of focusing on the negative, she looked at her children. She loved those children. She poured Jesus into those children. And honestly, she was one of the happiest people I've ever known. And she still mm-hmm. is today. And I'm like, how can you do this? How can you be in this horrible life? And she said, you know what? Jesus fulfills my needs. I don't even look to Rodney to fulfill my needs. I look to mm-hmm. the Lord. He fulfills my needs. And she always put a positive spin on things. And she looked at her life through the sovereignty and through the love and grace of God you know, you know, and I am never telling someone they should stay in a marriage where the husband's having affairs or if he's being abusive or, or anything like that. I'm just telling you the story of what, what happened in Pat's life. And eventually he did leave. Now, once he left, you know, that was his decision and he didn't come back and they did get a divorce. But you know what? She got remarried and she is the same person now that she was in a difficult marriage mm, because yes. she chose to look through the lens of God's sovereignty and God's love, looking for the positive in it. She still does that today the same way she did when she was in a difficult chapter. She's in a good chapter. That was a bad chapter. She made a decision. I'm going to look through the same lens at both of these. And she's the same person. 
And it's, it's just been amazing to watch and such a lesson to me that when I'm going through a difficulty, I need to make sure I'm looking through the right lens. When I've, when, you know, my, my own child makes a bad decision, looking through the lens of this is his story. God is doing something in his life instead of looking through a lens of what did I do wrong as a parent? And this is terrible. You know, we can just get caught up looking through the wrong lens instead of the sovereignty of God. Um, so just make sure we're looking through the right lens and looking for the good in it. Mm, that's so good. That's so powerful. I've been thinking a lot about just a question I heard someone um, offer that God's been using in my own life, and and it's this: What am I making this mean? You know, what am I making my story mean? What am I making my past mean? What am I making this current difficult dis- difficulty mean? As you mentioned at the opening, what am I making this COVID crisis mean? You know. Yeah. Uh, We've got to really be careful that our story is centered in Jesus and in his power to redeem, or we will be hopeless. If it's if all we have is our ability to make things work, then we're going to be frustrated. But if we can look at what Jesus wants to do, uh, that's where the good news begins. And I think, as you mentioned before, it's those hard parts of our story that God gets the most glory you know and and i've even found that it's the weak places in me not just the worst places in my story but the weak places in my story that when i bring him to the lord he's able to use it in a powerful way what would you say to that girl who who would just um say sharon i i just feel like everything has gone too bad for too long and i don't know how to get that to that place of peace that Patricia has, what would be some steps? Well, first of all, before I tell the steps, I, I, you know, I, when you said that, what immediately popped into the my, my mind was that story in the Old Testament about the prophet who went to the Valley of Dry Bones. And God told him, called the prophet to prophesy to this Valley of Dry Bones. And don't you know, he felt silly doing that. I mean, literally, it was just, you know, bones lying around and he's speaking to the bones. It's, um, that's worse than me talking to my dog. I mean, you know, it's just talking to bones. And as he did what God said, God raised the bones up. He put muscle, skin, and turned those dry bones into a vast army. And if God can do that, then he can take what we feel like we've gone too far and our story is too bad. He can certainly turn that story around and use it for good. What are the steps to getting well? You know, I mentioned that the first step is to make a decision that we want a different story. Not not that we can take that story away. Let me say that differently, that we want a different ending to that story. Because many of the stories that we feel like are have been completed in our past, if we're still in pain about it, it is not finished. Mm. So we need to decide that we want to be well and we want the hurt and the pain to be turned into a beautiful scar. I I call it, um, when we refuse to do that, that we are picking at scabs. Now, you know, think of a little girl, got a scab on her knee and she's just picking it and picking it and it cannot heal as long as she's continuing to pick it. And as big girls, we can continue to tell a story to ourselves over and over and over again. This is what was done. This is how it was done. This is who did it to me. And we rehearse it and go over it and go over it. And listen, 
The devil, again, he's a liar. He's going to remind you of it over and over again. Or maybe it's something that you did. Yeah, but you remember when you were sexually promiscuous as a teenager? Going over and over. And we pick and we pick and we pick. Because we feel like if we, if we, if we forgive these people, forgive ourselves, that somehow those people might go free. And we don't want them to go free. And we want them to suffer. But Joanna, they're not. They're not. We're the only ones suffering. So we make a decision that we want to be free, that we're going to stop picking at the scab, that we're going to get well. Then the next, let me tell you these two steps that are so important. And one is we have to forgive those people who've hurt us. Now, let's talk about what forgiveness is and what it is not, because forgiveness is not saying that what the person did to you doesn't matter. It is if it didn't matter, there would be nothing to forgive. It is not saying when you forgive them that it's okay, that they're not going to have to suffer the consequences of that at some point, but you're not the one to be the one that's going to dole that out. The Bible tells us vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and he will deal with that at some point. Forgiveness is saying, I am not going to let this control me any longer. And the actually, the, the Greek word, you know, the New Testament's originally in Greek, Old Testament originally in Hebrew, and the New Testament New Testament word for forgiveness is um, is pronounced aphiomi. And in my southernness, one day I was saying it, and I said off of me. Ah. And I thought, well, that's really what it is. It's like off of me because the the original word for forgiveness means to cut someone loose. So if you have unforgiveness, that means you've tied someone on. So all the people that have hurt us and we're refusing to forgive them, we're strapping those people on our backs and we're carrying that burden around. And listen, they don't care. Most of the time they don't even know. And the only person we're hurting is we're hurting ourselves. But forgiveness says, I'm going to cut that person loose. I'm going to take it off my back and give that to the Lord. And I am going to be free of it. Now, you've probably heard the saying that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. That's exactly what it is. It's not hurting them. It's hurting us. And if we want to be well, we have to cut those people loose, forgive them, and be free ourselves. Now, I want to say this to Joanna, that sometimes, even with my own my own life, in my 20s, I, I had a period of time where where I just couldn't hear from God and I really needed to know an answer to a particular question. I was making a decision whether I should go back to school or not, could not hear from God. And I met with one of my mentors and and um, I asked him to pray for me. It was an uh, older man in my hometown that mentored a lot of teenagers and started a coffee house for us. And and so I said, you know, Seabury, his an odd name, I know, but his name was Seabury. And I said, I, you know, I'm, can you pray with me? I just don't know. I can't hear from the Lord. And and he started um, reciting these verses, opening his Bible to these verses about asking you shall receive, those kind of verses. But wouldn't you know it, he put it in context, which means that he read the beginning, not just the little cherry picking verses that we've clung to, but he read the begin what was before and after each of those verses. And every single time there was a verse on forgiveness. Wow. And so then he looked at me and said, Sharon, I feel like that you have never forgiven your father for the things that he did do and the things he did not do in your childhood. And I said, I am not here to talk about my past. I am here to talk about my future. And then he said, God cannot talk to you about your future until you deal with your past. Wow. So we had a real... 
um, come to Jesus prayer meeting on forgiveness and forgiving my dad. And I can honestly say that God even just he blew the ashes away. The ruins were gone. Complete forgiveness for my dad. Now that doesn't mean that you know I still had triggers from time to time. Something would happen, and I would remember. And instead of thinking, "Oh, I must not have forgiven because I just had that thought and it made me angry again," instead, when I had the trigger, I said, "No, devil, I have already forgiven my dad, and that's been wiped clean." Yeah. So we have to go back and and remind the enemy that we've already done it. Don't let him tell you that you haven't forgiven, but just remind him that you have. So forgiving the people who've hurt you. And then, as you know, sometimes the hardest person to forgive is yourself. And we have to have to let go of that. And in the book, I call it um, leaving the pain place. That's the forgiveness part. And then the forgiving ourselves is leaving the shame place. And, and I hear so many times, well, you know, I've asked God to forgive me. I know that he has, but I can't forgive myself. And some people will say, well, that's not very scriptural because there's nothing in the Bible about forgiving yourselves. It's really about accepting God's forgiveness. And, and that is true. But listen, that's not what people feel. They feel that they can't forgive themselves. And so they stay under that cloud of shame. And God is calling us, you know, when we say I can't forgive myself, it's we're putting a higher standard on our sin than God is. So he's, he's forgotten it. He's wiped it clean. And we need to receive that forgiveness and walk in the freedom that Jesus gave his life for. You know, I love the story of Rahab in the Bible. I've mentioned her already, but, you know, Rahab was a prostitute. And I was reading the story about when the Israelites were coming into Jericho and, and the, the spies came into Jericho and she hid the spies and, and she said to them, you know, when you do take Jericho, will you save my family? And they said, yes, hang a red cord out your window and we will see where you are and save you and your family. And I thought, where did that red cord come from? Well, the red cord, as I went back and studied, was the red cord that she hung on her door to show that she was in business. Wow. So we call that the red light district today. But her her red cord was the sign of her shame. I don't think she grew up thinking as a little girl, one day I'm going to grow up and be a prostitute. Absolutely not. There was something that happened in her life that she felt like she had no choice but to do that. And the red cord was the sign of her shame. But what did God do to her story? That very thing that was the sign of her shame, she hung it out the window and became the sign of her salvation. Wow. And the very things that in our lives that we feel like were the most shameful parts because of what we've done. God doesn't want us to hide those. He wants us to hang them out the window and say, <laughs> look what God has done for me. Yes, 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 yes. So coming out of that shame. But here's another thing too. coming, Forgiving people have hurt us, receiving God's forgiveness and coming out of shame. And here's the final one. Then after that happens, tell your story. Because once you tell your story, the devil can't use it against you any longer. As long as you're keeping it a secret, then he can still come in and just taunt you with that. You know, you mentioned earlier, Joanna, about the woman with the issue of blood and how she reached for that healing and how we're encouraging women to reach for that healing. But after Jesus healed her, he did not let her slip away with that healing. He stopped and he said, who touched me? 
Yeah. The disciple said, oh, there's so many people touching you. How, how can you ask that question who touched me? He said, no. He knew that the power had gone out of him and that something had happened. And he would not let her slip away until she stopped and she said, it was me. And she told her story. And Joanna, this was a time in history where women were not allowed to speak in public, where women were not allowed to testify in a court of law because they were seen as unreliable But this woman meant so much to Jesus. And of course, we know he broke all the rules when it came to women in in his culture. But he would not let her slip away with that healing. He wanted her not just to be physically, physically healed, but emotionally healed, restored in her community. And that happened when she spoke up and she told what Jesus had done for her. Oh, praise God. Well, I and I'm sure you've seen it over and over in your ministry, but I can't count the times that I've seen the power of our past, of a woman's past broken when she told her story. Uh, it's just remarkable. I've seen the shame lift. I've seen the countenance change. And I just, oh, Sharon, I so... I so love this message, and I feel like there are women listening today that today is their day of deliverance. I just feel that. I feel that. And I would just love it if you would pray as we close. I wish we could go on and on, but uh, I just, I want to see women free because you know what? I have had God set me free in some areas of shame. There's been some prison cells that I've locked myself up in that that he has been opening doors for me just even this past year. And oh, I know this is your heart. We want to see women free. So would you just take us to the Lord today? Lord, I thank you so much for this time that Joanna and I can, can sit in her living room and um, share this conversation. And I thank you for each and every person that's listening, for the women that are listening. And I know there are going to be some men that are listening. Wives are going to call their husbands in and said, I want you to hear this. And for each one of you who are listening to the sound of our voice, I pray that you will be tender to the Holy Spirit. You know, our Lord, just show each of us how how our stories are seed that can be planted into someone's heart. And yes, we can bury that seed into to furrows of fear, but you want to, to set us free and to share, share those seeds and plant them in the fertile soil of other people's hearts. Lord, I pray for freedom. I pray that women will forgive those people who have hurt them, that they will cut them loose, that they will walk in freedom, that they will take the key hanging on the wall and unlock themselves from those, um, unlock themselves from the cell, from the jail cells that we tend to put ourselves in. And Lord, I pray for that woman who has lived under condemnation, self-condemnation and and shame because of what she's done in her fast, uh, from the shame of that abortion, for the shame of being um, sexually uh, illicit behavior, of having an affair, for the shame of lying, for the shame of walking away from a relationship. I pray for that woman today. There is no place that's so far that God's hand cannot reach down and save us, to redeem us, and to set us free, and then to use what we've gone through, to take that to the redemption center and to exchange it for something good, and then to use that story, just like the woman with the issue of blood, to tell her story about what Jesus had done in her life to set her free. 
Lord, I pray that for all of us that we will not be ashamed of our stories, Lord, but we will use them for good. And we know that when that happens, then our worst chapters can become our greatest victories. And you are a God of victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 As we were talking, I couldn't help but think of a beautiful little chapel that I visited when I was in Germany a couple of years ago. It's located in the Fortburg Castle where Martin Luther translated the New Testament. But deep down in the castle is a little chapel, just very intimate and tiny. And it's enhanced with mosaics all over the wall. Four million tiny pieces of glass enhanced with gold and mother of pearl that tell not only the story of Jesus, but the testimony of St. Elizabeth, a godly Hungarian princess who lived in the castle and gave her life to serve the poor. You know, it made me wonder, what could God do with our broken pieces? I hope that you'll check out Sharon's new book and do the Bible study. You'll find resources as well as some really helpful information at Sharon's website. You can find links over at joannaweaverbooks.com forward slash 053. And you know what? I, I have a feeling you might have a friend who needs to hear this message. I know I do. You can share it on social media from my website or by clicking the three dots at the bottom of most podcast players. Listen, you guys, your story matters. The world needs to see the masterpiece that God is creating from your life. And more importantly, they need to hear about it. I'm praying that God will give us boldness to share our story. Oh, we have not arrived, but you guys, God has done some powerful things. And as we give Him praise, we release His power to complete the work that He's already started. So until next time, you guys, don't just keep living and loving and leading like Jesus. Talk about it. God bless you.